Good morning. How wonderful it is to be with you again and worship with you. You know, last summer I retired. (laughs) (laughs) And my retirement was announced more than a year in advance. So it was not a surprise. But what was unexpected was the circumstances that surrounded those last few months as a pastor. Your pastors all scrambled to nurture faith amidst the new realities of the pandemic. The last time I stood and preached from this pulpit, the sanctuary was empty. There was a cell phone on a tripod that recorded the service. And then Pastor Jerry magically turned that iPhone recording into an online worship experience. From those humble beginnings, online worship here at Faith has become a wonderful thing that people expect to see every week. After those last sermons and online classes, I quietly retired, moving to northern Colorado. My new home is in the small town of Windsor, and my house is just a couple of blocks from beautiful Windsor Lake. The snow-capped Rocky Mountains are a breathtaking backdrop to my exercise-bound laps around the lake. There are quite a few LCMC congregations in Colorado. As most of you know, the Faith Lutheran Church is affiliated with the LCMC, which is the Lutheran Congregations in Mission for Christ. Here in New Mexico, Faith is the only LCMC church, but there's a cluster of LCMC churches in Colorado, and that means the pastors there can have a wider fellowship, and I have really enjoyed being part of that fellowship. While northern Colorado is a great place to be, and Windsor is truly a lovely place to live, the real attraction for Uh, Our move is family. My daughter Beth, son-in-law Matt, and wonderful grandchildren live nearby. Since I'm a proud Nana, what do you think the next picture is going to be? (laughs) (laughs) On the left, the giraffe is four-year-old Eris, my granddaughter, and on the right, the elephant is six-year-old Talon, my grandson. Uh, Because of all the special circumstances last summer, we were not able to have a celebratory gathering when I retired. How wonderful it is for me to be able to come back and have that celebration with you now. I hope you'll join me at 2 p.m. today. My family will all be here for the event, including my grandchildren. My husband David seated in the front row at all four services today. I want you to know he volunteered to do that. All right. At that 2 p.m. celebration, I'll have lots of memories to share, but let me say now what a blessing it has been for me to be part of this church family. 
Thank you for calling me to be a pastor here. I will treasure the memories we have made together. So, I was talking about what it was like to lead worship and preach back in the days when the sanctuary was empty. That's so different from preaching on a day like this. But however many people are in the sanctuary, the message remains the same. A pastor's heart is focused on sharing the gospel and helping everyone understand that truth. So today, I am, again, sharing that gospel truth with you. We begin with scripture. The gospel lesson is written in the 19th chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 16th verse. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All those I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel story is often misunderstood, so we're going to take a broad look at the words of Christ to learn a powerful truth, essential to understanding God's grace, which is to say his unearned love. To grasp the meaning of Jesus' words, it's helpful to understand his use of hyperbole. Hyperbole is a figure of speech, one that Jesus uses regularly. Now, if you don't know what hyperbole is and how Jesus employs it, some of the things he says can be baffling. Sometimes people actually try to explain away the truth of Christ's words because they just don't get it. So let's start with a definition. Hyperbole is intentional exaggeration to make a point. Hyperbole is not deception. The speaker intends the listener to know he's exaggerating. So, 
Let me give you some examples of hyperbole from our own time and place. Now, I bet you've heard someone say at some point, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, right? Or how about this one? I know I've said it. I have a million things to do today. And this one is my favorite, probably yours too. When I was a kid, I had to walk to school 15 miles in the snow, uphill, both ways. All right. In Matthew 5, 29, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. This is part of his instruction regarding faithfulness in marriage and turning away from adultery. He is not advocating self-mutilation. Instead, he's telling us to take resolute action to avoid sin. Jesus uses this shocking imagery to underscore the importance of remaining faithful to one's spouse. It's hyperbole. Here's another example. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Has this saying of Jesus ever bothered you? If so, it may be because you are taking it literally when it's hyperbole. The overstatement that you must hate everyone in your family emphasizes that love for Christ must take priority. Jesus Christ uses hyperbole to teach eternal truths. Now, a favorite object of his criticism is the Pharisees. So let's look at an example. To fully get this next bit, It helps to understand something about Jewish dietary laws, which largely come from the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. For those invested in being meticulous rule followers, those books provide plenty of rules on a variety of topics, including diet. And here we can even read about which insects are acceptable to eat and which are not. Leviticus 11:22 to 23 reads of them you may eat the locust of any kind the bald locust of any kind the cricket of any kind and the grasshopper of any kind but all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you this is important information if you're going out to lunch right after this <laughs> using this law Jesus hyperbolically criticizes any hypocritical following of the law. In Matthew 23, 24, he says, You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the blind guides he speaks of here. And here's the important point. Gnats are among those unclean insects, the ones you're not supposed to eat. So wine was carefully strained to remove any gnat bits. 
Yet Jesus says that even though the Pharisees obsessively strain their wine for fragments of unclean bugs, they swallow a camel whole. And camels were also forbidden food. So are you getting the picture here? It's obvious hyperbole. Jesus is criticizing the observance of the tiny minutiae of the law while ignoring the overarching intent of the law, which is to love God and follow him faithfully. Now, Jesus refers to a camel in this passage. There was also a camel reference in the gospel reading for today to you. Remember it. Nobody's nodding. Okay. So it's going to be on the screen. It's okay. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a misguided analysis of this passage has sent some Christians on a wild goose chase in search of a place called the eye of the needle. But Jesus is not talking about a geographic location with this phrase, but a needle. Yes, like a sewing needle. Christ is painting a picture for us. So visualize a sewing needle. The eye is tiny. Can you imagine a camel, the largest animal around in the ancient Middle East, squeezing through there? Absolutely not. He wants us to see this is just not happening. It's hyperbole. Now hear this next part carefully because this is the important point. A rich man has come to Jesus asking, what good deed must I do to earn salvation, to have eternal life? This rich guy's assuming salvation is something he must earn. This is where the conversation begins. What good deed must I do? This is the question that Jesus is answering. It's all about earning eternal life through good deeds. Now, in this gospel lesson, we tend to focus on the fact that the conversation is with and about a rich man. But Jesus' answer to his question will be the same whether the man is rich or poor. And here is Jesus' reply to the question. If you would be perfect... Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Now we tend to focus on the part about selling everything and giving it away because we are grounded in this world of possessions and money and the thought of becoming penniless is something we reject. We tend to focus on this because That's the kind of good deed we must do to earn salvation? That's shocking. We're sunk. We feel like we might as well just give up because we sure aren't going to do that. But you know what? The astonished disciples feel 
the same way. They want to know who then can be saved. And the disciples ask this despairingly, knowing they aren't measuring up. We understand that feeling. But you know what? This is a really good question. This is the question the rich man should have asked. Instead, his question was what good deeds he needed to do so he could earn his eternal life. So the rich man's mindset is give me a list. What I must do, give me a list. Well, if you want a list, Jesus will give you a list on what you need to do to be perfect and earn eternal life. But you know what? No one's going to be perfect. No one's going to be able to check off everything on the perfect list. No one's going to be saved by good deeds like this rich guy is trying to do because if we are relying on our own perfection for salvation well the chances of success are about as likely as a big hairy brown camel passing through the eye of a sewing needle and so we read but Jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible but with god all things are possible no one's going to be perfect it's just not happening only god is good so who gets saved those who believe in and rely on god's grace because with him all things are possible We are all sinners. Not one of us will be saved by our own actions. Salvation is not an accomplishment of any person, rich or poor. If we could do it all on our own, there would have been no need for the cross. Christ was nailed to rough timbers and died in agony to earn for us what we could not earn for ourselves. The broken, those sunk in filthy sin and far from perfect, can be saved through faith in the Lord. But salvation will never happen by doing great good deeds. We are saved by our powerful and loving God, His grace, His unearned love makes all things possible, even the salvation of sinners like you and me. God does all the work, and to him alone goes all the glory. Amen.